We have two new puppies that we're just training up, and that's kind of what this trip's about. On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, Southeast Alaska's ferry link with Prince Rupert, B.C. returns to service. Plus, are Southeast Alaska tribes traditional values inherently religious? Ketchikansett School Board will discuss the question tomorrow. And Team Pure and Wild wins this year's Race to Alaska. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. We have a heat wave likely this weekend into early next week. For tonight, though, numerous rain showers with lows in the mid-40s and light winds. Brown scattered rain showers with highs in the mid-50s, northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. On Wednesday night, partly cloudy with patchy fog, lows around 50 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. On Thursday, mostly cloudy with highs around 70 and light winds. On Thursday night, clear with lows around 50 and light winds. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Southeast Alaska's ferry link to northern British Columbia resumed on Monday after nearly three years out of service. I spoke with some passengers waiting to board the first state ferry to Prince Rupert since 2019. For Lindsay Swaim, the return of the Prince Rupert ferry route means she can see family again. Uh, it means everything to me. I can go down and visit my grandma, who I haven't seen in over two years. Her parents are in Prince Rupert taking care of her grandmother, who's in her 90s. Swaim says without the ferry, travel was impractical. In order to see her, I'd have to fly to Seattle, Seattle to Vancouver, Vancouver all the way to Prince Rupert on a prop plane. And that's just pretty ridiculous when a ferry can go there in six hours. Swaim was one of the 83 passengers who rode the ferry Matanuska to Prince Rupert. It's the first run since ferry officials put the route on hold in September 2019 over a dispute over whether U.S. Customs officials could carry firearms. But now after some security upgrades at the terminal, the route is back on. Scott Milner is another passenger waiting to board outside Ketchikan's ferry terminal. He says the return of the shortest ferry route connecting Ketchikan with the North American road system means he can take his eight dongs to agility competitions down south again. Probably the most famous is Bolt, who <coughs> won the United States Dog Agility Pairs competition at their World Games in uh, Phoenix, Arizona in 2016. Angus is a AKC Masters Agility champion. And then we have two new puppies that we're just training up, and that's kind of what this trip's about. He's planning a month-long road trip through Canada and several states with his four Chihuahuas and four Shetland Sheepdogs. Donita O'Dell is also planning a road trip. After driving down to Seattle for a doctor's appointment, she says she's planning to drop off a vehicle at a family member's house in Idaho in preparation for another trip next month. She says it's her four-year-old daughter Merritt's first time on a state ferry. These are the kinds of experiences it's pretty hard for us to be able to give her because uh, we definitely can't afford to put a trailer and the truck going down to Bellingham and then take two weeks for a family vacation and then come back up. It's totally undoable, so this, this makes things a lot more accessible for us. State Representative Dan Ortez was also aboard the first run to B.C. The Ketchikan Independent says the return of the Prince Rupert route is a big deal for Southeast Alaska. For lots of reasons, history, culture, the whole thing, you know, Prince Rupert's been an important part of, of the total package that the Marine Highway System has offered over the years, and when it wasn't there, boy, did I hear about people missing it, so it's really important. Ortez says it's also a way for him to visit constituents. He plans to visit the tiny hamlet of Hyder for the first time in two years. Everyone I spoke with was glad to see the Prince Rupert route back online, but there's one consistent complaint. Residents say they wish there were more runs. There are just seven round-trip voyages scheduled through September, or about two a month. State transportation officials say they're hoping to schedule more frequent calls after some ships are overhauled and brought back online. 
The fall and winter schedule is due out in August. Are Southeast Alaska tribes' traditional values inherently religious? That's a question Ketchikan's school board is scheduled to tackle on Wednesday. A parent is asking the board to review the school district's use of a document outlining 14 values promoted by native leaders. As KRBD's Morgan Miller reports, school district officials say the Southeast traditional tribal values are an important part of students' cultural education and not a religious statement. Patience, respect for nature, speaking with care, and humor. Those are some of the values put together by Southeast Alaska tribal elders in 2004. They're taught in some Ketchikan schools as part of the cultural curriculum. But one of the values, reverence for our creator, has some Ketchikan residents convinced that the school district is promoting religious beliefs in violation of the First Amendment. Justin Brees filed a request for the district to review the values on April 6th. He spoke at a school board meeting about the topic later that month. I feel that one of the values, reverence for our creators, is undeniably a religious statement about creationism. At that meeting, Brees said he believed in cultural education in the schools, but the Southeast traditional tribal values was not the right avenue. My concern is, is that these aren't being included as any kind of lesson. These are just a posting that's made in every classroom in the school district, as far as I know. And I'd like some kind of direction to the superintendent to have it removed and maybe come up with a better plan. School district officials denied the request. Business manager Katie Parrott signed a determination last month that found the values did not promote any particular religion. Former Ketchikan Indian community president and current tribal council member Gloria Burns says the term creator isn't about worship. It's acknowledging, you know, the, the strength of, of the mountain and your responsibility to it. Burns says it is more about how the individual connects to the things around them. Imperfect. There is no, uh, there's no way in English um, to say that with just one snapshot or word. Brees has appealed the school district's ruling. School board president Stephen Bradford says the appeals process is required by the board's bylaws. And we could uh, either affirm or reject the conclusion of staff. The board is scheduled to take up the question on Wednesday. If the board agrees with Brees, they'll determine what to do about the Southeast Traditional Tribal Values Program at a later date. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. Ketchikan's school board meets at 6 p.m. Wednesday in the White Cliff Building on 1st Avenue. Members of the public have a chance to weigh in at the beginning of the meeting. It's live-streamed on local cable channels and the borough's website. Team Pure and Wild has won the 2022 Race to Alaska. The three-man crew from Seattle aboard a 44-foot riptide monohull sailed into Ketchikan's Thomas Basin Harbor Monday afternoon. It was not close. I mean, there are days in front of anyone else. That's Jake Beatty. He's the head of the Northwest Maritime Center, which organizes the 750-mile non-motorized self-supported race to Alaska. He says from the start, he knew there were two teams likely to stand out in the race, Pure and Wild and Malolo. They took different routes. Pure and Wild turned right coming out of Victoria, British Columbia, sailing up the west coast of Vancouver Island and the Pacific Ocean. Malolo turned left, going up the traditional inside route east of the island, and that made the difference. The other one ended up hitting a log, like a catastrophic log failure, essentially, uh, on the backside of Vancouver Island. So um, they were out. Yeah. So for days, it's been these guys race to either win or lose, and it looks like they're going to win. Among the couple dozen spectators gathered to watch the victors arrive is Libby Johnson-McKee, the wife of Pure and Wild Captain Jonathan McKee. 
I made the decision last night around 11 to uh, get a plane ticket and come up here for the finish um, just to surprise them, uh, my husband, and to just be here as part of his um, triumph. This has been a dream of his to like not only bring our boat to Alaska, but to do this race. She says she's been following the race closely. I have like spent countless hours on Facebook, on Instagram, and on the tracker, and I've gotten very little done over the last few days. <laughs> I haven't been able to tear myself away 11 o'clock at night checking the tracker. We're standing on the Baranoff fishing dock in Ketchikan's downtown Thomas Basin Harbor. A Holland America cruise ship parked nearby looms overhead. Between that and a breakwater, we can't see much of the Tongass Narrows, but then the black tip of a mainsail peeks out from above the breakwater. Oh yeah, there it is, yeah, the top of the boat. <laughs> Pure and Wild team members Jonathan McKee, Matt Pistay, and Alyosha Strumpler cross the finish line just after 3.30 p.m. They glide silently to the dock, step off, and ring the traditional bell. Have a beer. <laughs> McKee says it was a slow start for Pure and Wild and the two other teams who decided to take the outside route. I think at one point we'd gone six miles and uh, the lead rowers had, had gone 22 miles. So, you know, we, we were definitely way behind at the beginning. But then we got some breeze. And they were off. The team sailed day and night with two on deck and one sleeping and finished the race in just over four days. He says there were some tough conditions, including the Hecate Strait inside of Haida Gwaii near the end of the race. The, the range of conditions that you experience out there is, you know, it's extreme. So you need to be ready and um, you just have to have that spirit that you're going to get through it, you know. So the combination of, of grit and preparation, I think, is, is what is necessary to, to finish this race and a little bit of luck. Pure and Wild's Matt Pistay is the Race to Alaska's first ever two-time winner. He came in first with Team Angry Beavers in 2019. That's the last time the race was run. He says there's nothing like the Race to Alaska. The adventure of doing this race will always bring me back to come and do this race again, and I hope to be able to do it uh, more years to come and uh, be able to do it with, on a good boat with two other great sailors and teammates and friends uh, makes it very special as well. Remember, Alyosha Strumpalurum says the 750-mile journey is its own kind of reward. It's so much more like than just like a race for us. Like just like the whole journey of being like together and being like a team and you know doing the things that we did. That was like just as valuable as like winning like the race. Of course, ten thousand dollars in prize money certainly doesn't hurt. The Zach Gordon Youth Center is a special space for Juno's queer kids. This was the third year the center has hosted a youth pride party. It's one of the events that kicks off Pride Month in Juneau. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry has the story. It's been a tough couple of years for the LGBTQ plus youth that come by Juno's Zach Gordon Youth Center. We have seen just significant struggles with mental health. Like kids that are struggling to stay in school, they're struggling to like maintain relationships and like take care of themselves. Um, and I think kids are just living through some really dark stuff. And they're really doing their best, but like it's rough out there. Tai Shea is a program coordinator for the center. About 65 kids are here for the party. They have pride flags painted across their faces or draped across their shoulders. They enter through a rainbow balloon arch over the front door. Games and dancing await after they pass through. 
This event comes during a slew of anti-trans legislation nationwide, including a bill in Alaska that would have banned trans girls from playing on girls' sports teams had it passed. I think it is important to acknowledge that like, the general messaging in the world right now is not super inclusive to trans youth in particular. And even if it doesn't directly impact these kids, like even if the trans kids we're seeing are not in sports or whatever, like that is still super harsh messaging to hear. Lee Orozco has a non-binary heart sticker on their face. We need a lot more safe spaces uh, for queer people in Juneau, especially for children, because most, mo like year-round, most of the queer spaces are like for adults because they're like drag shows at the bars, um, which is a little frustrating. Grace and Ashley agrees. I think that kids aren't able to express themselves that as as often as most adults are. It makes events like these all the more impactful to show LGBTQ plus youth and do know that there is room for them, they said. There are more Pride events planned for this month in Juneau, and some are all ages. But the Zach Gordon Youth Center's party is the only event that caters to youth alone. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumry. And last up tonight, a correction to a story that aired on Friday night about a tribal recognition bill misstated the effect of the bill. It would not change the way the state engages with tribes. It would simply acknowledge tribes' role in the state's past, present, and future. That is all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can get this show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app or on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Eric Stone.